This is the Clinical Takeaway podcast from HealthEd, where we interview leading medical experts on important topics that can positively change the way you practice. Here's your host, GP and medical educator, Dr. David Lim. HealthEd's face-to-face seminars are starting up again in 2022. And we hope that you will be able to join us for a day of high quality learning with a lineup of great speakers and important topics in women's and children's health. I'll be chairing a number of these events and I look forward to seeing you there. Register at healthed.com.au. Having triple therapy for patients with moderate to severe asthma seems a logically helpful strategy. However, if we do not help our patients overcome their misunderstanding of the disease and of the medications itself, these adherence barriers may well be carried over to the new medication. Professor Cynthia Boschnik Entesevich provides a practical, comprehensive, and a real-world approach to dealing with patient adherence and switching issues that will be of great help to us all. Professor Bosnik Antisevich, tell us about yourself. Thank you very much, David. So I'm a registered pharmacist by healthcare training, but I've spent the last 20 years focusing on research and practice around how patients use their respiratory medicines. And a very important part of that is the inhaler, adherence, efficacy and safety. And uh, I'm located at the Woolcock Institute of Medical Research and our research group is called the Quality Use of Respiratory Medicines Group. Thank you for that, Cynthia. Uh, Today's topic's fairly, if you like, narrow and focused, which is good. Uh, It's the triple therapy in asthma and COPD, and we're specifically looking at patient adherence and the correct use of the inhaler device. Now, the point is this, Cynthia, when, say, a patient comes to a GP uh, with asthma or COPD, it's so easy to just write that script. But there must be, and there are, little signals that can tell us that this patient is likely to have issues with adherence. Now, as a pharmacist, how do you feel about that? We'd like to think that there are very obvious signs to look for when it comes to things like adherence. But I think the fact that we are still struggling with adherence after really decades of inhaler use really indicates to us it's not so straightforward. Now, I I completely understand the scenario for the prescriber, and I actually understand the the scenario for the pharmacist because many of these patients come across as if there's no real problem with adherence. They might be having exacerbations more often than we would expect given what their treatment is or symptoms. But often these patients actually will say, I don't have a problem with using my medicines. And to me, that is actually the red flag, which which means we need to just make sure that everything is okay from the adherence and device perspective. Cynthia, how would you ask a question or assess whether or not the patient's insight into their own, if you like, behaviour is accurate or not? 
The main challenge with these respiratory patients is, especially with asthma patients who have often had asthma for decades, when we see them, they've been managing their own asthma for decades. So they, their mindset is they know their disease, they know what they're doing, they know whether they do or they don't have symptoms. And of course, their perception of their symptoms is another underlying issue that we know exists. And so it's not like we can treat them like they've never known, never had experience in their disease. <laughs> so we really have to try and unpack what is their perception and attitude around their disease and how are they feeling about how it's going. And that seems very sort of um, like a loose way to approach it, but actually leaving it open like that, that is where we uncover some of the underlying things. I mean, for example, I had uh, I was seeing a young patient who had asthma and she was referred to me because her respiratory physician wasn't sure that she'd ever actually had any proper education on medicines. And she came to me and she was very proud of the fact that she wasn't using her Saba or her reliever med medication very often. But the doctor said, you know, her Saba use sort of, it, it's not really making sense given what she's telling me. So her perception of her disease was, it's normal to have symptoms if I have asthma mm -hmm. and I'm going to wait till the very last minute to take my Saba medication to show that I'm in control. And it was sort of, you know, that may not be the majority of patients, but it was not what I had expected. I did not expect that this patient was actually withholding her Saba so that she could say, oh, I only need to use it so often. So it's really important to unpack that patient's mm. Mm. understanding and beliefs around their disease. So what you're really saying is that for some people, the less they use the medications, the more they feel in control of the disease. Yes. For wow. some of them, that is the case. For some of them, they don't think their medication's working. And I think that's a very interesting one, which we haven't explored enough of in research to be able to give Mm. our healthcare professionals the answer because mm. if a patient is not adherent when are they most likely to use their medication mm -hmm. when they're unwell if they're unwell and they don't know and they don't have correct technique or for some reason their breathing is not aligned with the way in which the inhaler needs to be used mm -hmm. when they're having a flare-up then once again it's going to compromise the actual dose so maybe they're using their inhaler only when they have symptoms at which point they're, they're not able to use it properly. And then you have this perpetual, well, is the inhaler really doing very much for me? Why would I bother using it on a daily basis? Now, that's a very interesting perception, uh, Cynthia. I mean, it's a very real one. I'm just trying to think of some good questions um, by which we can ask to unlock or unpack uh, the patient's own perceptions. Um, do you have any gems to share with us? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it does need to be an individualised approach, of course, because, you know, that's, that's the nature of this type of kind of issue. But I think a good starting question is, what are your expectations of how your medication is going to help you? What, would you, what do you expect your medication is going to do for you? When do you think it's most important for you to use your medication? And that will actually uncover a lot about when they use it, how they use it, what they expect to get from their disease. I mean, you know, 
we would hope that the patient says, well, I'm expecting that my medication is going to make me symptom free always, <laughs> except maybe, you know, when I can't avoid a changing weather and I go outside and it's cold, you know, or, so, you know, temporarily or something. But we would expect them to say, I would hope that my medication is keeping me symptom free all the time. Right. So by asking them what their expectation is of their medication and their asset management, that can open up a lot of opportunity to find out where they're at. That requires a bit of insight and prior knowledge, doesn't it, Cynthia, that in fact, being symptom free most of the time, if not all the time, is a goal to achieve and can be achieved. Yes, absolutely. Because I think if a GP was to ask every single ask the patient that question, I think they'd probably be surprised at how many patients actually expect that they will live with symptoms. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually more a rarity that they're saying, I expect to be symptom free most of the time, all almost all the time. I think mm-hmm. that that's quite rare. And um I think it's also I think it's also a challenge because it's really difficult unless a patient is adherent and are using their inhaler correctly. It's really difficult for us to judge actually what is their level of severity, because you know they could be prescribed a high dose, they're not taking it correctly, mm-hmm. and they're coming back with symptoms and up oh, high dose isn't working. Mm. So it's kind of a vicious cycle in some ways, and that's also what makes it you know such a challenge. I'm so glad we're sort of addressing these issues because they're not often spoken about to us as GPs, uh, but these are the real challenges. Whenever you look at adherence, it's not about whether or not you know how to use the device. It's when you use it and uh, and what's stopping you using it. Yeah, yeah. Because, of course, using it any time is going to be better than never using it, <laughs> even if you do have an issue with technique. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's move to the next level up now, Cynthia. We're now talking about triple therapy. Can you very quickly just sum up to us what triple therapy is in asthma? So triple therapy is a newer approach to uh, the suite of options that uh, we have for treating asthma. And it's for moderate to severe patients who go from having a combination inhaler, so an inhaled corticosteroid plus a long-acting beta agonist, and then they have the addition of another bronchodilator, a long-acting muscarinic agonist, Mm -hmm. antagonist. And so the LAMA, the LABA, and the ICS together are now an additional option. The benefits, well... I guess up until now, people with asthma have not had triple therapy as an inhaler option. And these patients probably, if they were not controlled on a high dose of a combination, so a dual combination, would have probably been candidates for biologics. So it it does give like another option for those people who are not well controlled. And it also gives an option where a patient can be put on triple therapy at not a maximum dose dose of inhaled corticosteroid. So for some patients, it means that actually they can go to triple therapy, but the actual dose of inhaled corticosteroid could be lower. So you're really saying that uh, it's a steroid-sparing strategy? Yes, it can be a steroid-sparing strategy, yes. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Because we're really talking about shifting patients who are moderate to severe, already taking high dose in health corticosteroids, moving on to a lower dose and hopefully achieving good 
relief and symptom control. So yes. what you need to tell us now, SGPs, is how does that compare? I mean, you know, um, high dose uh, ICS plus LABA versus triple therapy. Uh, how does it compare? Well, in, in terms of efficacy, it has been shown to be advantageous for, patient, for some patients to actually switch to the triple therapy. So in terms of efficacy and in terms of safety. In terms of explaining it to the patient, it also adds other dimensions. So for example, for some patients, they might find it appealing that they are actually having a lower dose of inhaled corticosteroid because there is still a bit of phobia out there mm -hmm. about the use of inhaled corticosteroids. So that's that's sort of the other aspect. And I guess for having the triple therapy in one inhaler means that for some patients who perhaps could be trying a combination of all those three drugs, they weren't able to get them all in one inhaler previously. Mm -hmm. So now that it is in one inhaler, it removes the issue of multiple inhalers, which may or may not be similar to use. So there are some practical, I guess, advantages if it really is required that a patient has goes to that next level. Mm. But once again, there are some challenges here because we don't have the data for triple therapy and asthma just yet. Okay. But we do know with triple therapy and COPD, which is obviously a different disease and a different trajectory and everything. Mm -hmm. But we do know that there was a study that was done in the UK from a very large primary care database. And they looked to see the proportion of patients on triple therapy. And it was actually quite high. Mm -hmm. So their conclusion was that perhaps patients are put on triple therapy very quickly. And, you know, should all of those patients actually be on triple therapy? I think that once again, then comes back to that patient's behavior. And are they really getting the most out of what they've already got before considering, say, the triple therapy change? We'll come back to this very important point, Cynthia, but... I'm just going to ask, because you said that there's not a lot of studies with asthma and triple therapy, but of course, uh, as a GP, my thoughts in terms of efficacy are symptom relief, reductions of exacerbations and improvements in quality of life. Has any work been done at all in these areas? Yeah, well, there are a substantial number of studies looking at triple therapy in terms of safety and efficacy. <laughs> that has been done. But <laughs> what hasn't been done is prescribing and dispensing habits okay in patients with asthma that's that's what we don't that's what sorry I should have clarified that no, that's, that's actually what we don't know well, well let's start with both of these issues both safety and efficacy because they are important so I mean with efficacy of course that is usually the driver of any kind of medication change and, and certainly in the studies that have been done with triple therapy, they have shown that when a, when a patient isn't, uh, isn't doing well on their dual therapy, that a switch to uh, triple therapy can improve both symptom control and also exacerbations. The interesting thing to note, and this goes back to our behaviour thing, is that in some of these studies, they've actually shown that the patients on their regular therapy improve because they've actually started to become more adherent. But okay. Okay. the triple therapy definitely there's sufficient evidence that where it's where it's required patients aren't getting relief in the right patient, it is more efficacious, and also the safety profile is also 
is also good and is not a concern, especially because some of these patients actually end up going to a lower dose of inhaled corticosteroid, as, as, as we discussed. Cynthia, I'm aware that there are three different preparations out there, all of them with different types of llamas, ICSs, and doses. So it's confusing to actually understand which one to choose for what particular situations. Do you have a way of thinking through this? It is a really big question. And actually, the question, not only does it apply to the triple therapy, but it probably actually does apply to when deciding to switch a medicate, an inhaled medication anyway. So as you said, three different products, three different inhaled corticosteroids, three different LABAs, two different LAMAs. So absolutely combinations. The most straightforward way, I think, in terms of the actual drugs themselves is to look at whether that product has been labelled as a medium-dose ICS or a high-dose ICS for that brand. So first of all, to distinguish just is it low-dose or high-dose, and that is we know what that is for each product because that's actually available in MPS documents or in MIMS or whatever. In terms of which three are being used, I think this is where the inhaler type inhaler device comes in. Mm -hmm. So if a patient has been using a particular dry powder inhaler prior to being prescribed the triple therapy, Mm -hmm. I would look to see is there a similar or the same type of device that they can be transitioned to. If they've been using something, you know, it's important to just, if possible, to try and keep that consistency so that at least the device is not massively different. So I think that would be the, the the way to select a triple therapy. Not knowing the LABAs, uh, Cynthia, do we have very uh, more rapid-acting LABAs versus slower-acting LABAs, and does that make a difference? The LABA component of it isn't really the usually the driver the driver of the selection. We do know about the faster onset <coughs> LABA, uh, but the LAMA onset of action is not usually the driver of the selection. The triple therapy at this stage is a regular therapy dosing schedule as well. So we know that it's not like with the combination therapy for asthma, where some patients might use it as maintenance and relief. Mm -hmm. The triple therapy is at this stage only used as maintenance. So it's regularly dosed. Very good, which means that they might still need to take a Saba around with them. That's correct. Okay, so the Lava doesn't drive it because you're not really to use it as a reliever as well as a preventer. Correct. Um, It is to be used purely as a preventer and any acute exacerbations are treated with a Saba. That's correct. What's driving it are two things. It could be the inhaled steroid, But critically, it is the familiarity with the prior device. Yes. And actually, we did a study a few years ago in COPD patients, and it looked at switching products and switching inhalers. And we showed that when patients were switched, if they stayed on a similar device, Mm -hmm. their clinical outcomes were better. Because the thing that happens is, If a patient's been using a particular inhaler for a while 
they have their way in which they use it, yep. which may or may not be correct, but they have a they have a particular understanding of using it. When they get a new inhaler, they don't just forget the habits and the things that they were doing with that previous inhaler. We know that they actually carry over some of the things that they were doing with that previous inhaler to a new inhaler. So, I mean, we always have to invest some time in inhaler technique. Someone in the patient journey has to, and we need to do it. We repeat that over time, but it particularly becomes important if a patient's been used to using a particular type of inhaler. So I'm going to put three scenarios in front of you and you tell me if I can, you can help me choose a device. <laughs> I have a patient with very severe arthritis of the hands. I have a patient who has a low inspiratory volume and I have a patient who doesn't easily understand things well. Mm -hmm. So how do you fit various devices to this three different patients? So the patient who has arthritis, mm -hmm. in many ways, all of these devices need something. You know, they need a twist or a hand or a, or a pressing down of something or a turning of something. And so if the patient is happy with that device otherwise, and they, they use it correctly otherwise, there are little attachments that can be purchased for the meter dose inhaler, for some dry powder inhalers that can actually help where they've got poor grip strength or, you know, poor handling. So that is in a situation where the patient has arthritis. But of course, you know, it also depends on what else might be going on and if it might be time to change the inhaler for other reasons anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the next one is with poor inspiratory flow. So with, with poor inspiratory flow, we try and put the patient on an inhaler where dose delivery is not critically dependent on inspiratory flow. And so we have three classes of inhalers. We have the metered dose inhalers, which most people call puffers, mm -hmm. traditional ones that everyone knows. We have a whole suite of dry powder inhalers and we have a soft mist inhaler. The dry powder inhalers are the particular ones out of those three classes of inhalers which are critically dependent on inspiratory flow. If the patient doesn't generate sufficient inspiratory flow, they can get a very minimal amount of drug being delivered, or if they do get it delivered, it'll deposit in the mouth rather than in the airways. So for that particular patient, moving away from a dry powder inhaler, either to a metered dose inhaler, which we always recommend with a spacer, or a soft mist inhaler, would be the device types of choice. Yeah. I was just thinking that the velocity by which the um, medication uh, leaves the puffers and soft mist is also quite different, isn't it? It is, it is. So, I mean, I think it would, it's quite interesting for GPs, pharmacists, nurses to actually look at this. If you, have a, if you go and use a meter dose inhaler and you actuate it, you'll see that the force, the velocity with which the, the drug plume comes out is really quite fast. Mm -hmm. Whereas the soft mist inhaler, as the name suggests, it is a much gentler, you know, mm -hmm. sort of expelling of that plume. And so that has implications for coordination. Yep. As you can imagine, with that meter dose inhaler, it does require practice. It really does to get the inhalation nice and steady while then pressing the inhaler. Yeah. 
I mean, that requires practice. The soft mist inhaler we consider more forgiving because you, you're not dealing with that fast release of the drug plume. On the other hand, though, if it's um, at, at low velocity and therefore probably a longer time required to deliver the medications out of the device, if I had a low inspiratory volume, I probably couldn't inspire if you inhale uh, the whole dose that's been delivered. I mean, am I thinking? Yes, right? that's ex- that is right. Yeah, that is absolutely right. Because you do need to have a certain inhalation length in order to make sure that the you get the full dose. Absolutely. So then that that brings you to that I guess next level of refinement, and you know, looking at how low is that lung capacity, that inspiratory flow you know do they have airway trapping so that's going to be another that's going to be another issue Mm. and so then if that is a so they're quite compromised patients then then really the option is to go with a spacer correct okay because a person can use natural tidal breathing with that yep it just makes so much sense when we talk it does yeah it's really helping me clear this in, in, in my own head. Uh, so I'm really grateful. So what about the patient who has problems understanding? So I guess it depends on, is it a cognitive issue? Is it a you know language issue? Is it whatever? Really, the only way to be certain that those types of patients are really getting a full dose or a proper dose or the, the best possible dose is actually to have someone who is with them who can also understand and learn what the correct use of the inhaler is and then be there to help that patient use the inhaler. I mean, unfortunately, it's, you know, there are inhalers that you just open, you know, open the inhaler and it feels like it's really two or three steps. Yes, there are some that seem like there's less procedures and maybe sometimes that's an option. But for example, that will only be an option amongst the suite of dry powder inhalers. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of different types of dry powder inhalers. So yes, perhaps, you know, it, you could use something like, um, you know, the, the Spiromax because you literally open the lid yep. and you have to inhale. Yep. But if that patient then has the inspiratory flow issue and they don't understand that, you know, they don't understand that they have to take that forceful breath again, then you've got another issue. So it's yep. really important to have someone with them who will understand how it's used. I'm almost thinking that um, if it's just a kind of, it's not cognitive, but if, if it's just trying to understand multiple steps, then a simple device is the way to go. Yes. But if I have some cognitive issues, then I suspect the carer will need to use something that they can give and know that they're doing it right. Yeah. The way I'm thinking, it might go back to your puffers with the spacer. Yeah, exactly. And what we found, uh, because we also did some research with carers of, of patients who need assistance, and what we found was that very often they don't have sufficient training they don't feel that they have sufficient training in these devices and these medicines because they often feel that they really want to understand what these medicines are not only how to use them but what these medicines are and how they're working to help the patient so it's yes I think you're absolutely right the meter dose inhaler and spacer that is something that they will be able to help that patient achieve, but also that they actually understand the role mm-hmm. of that medication for the patient. 
Mm -hmm. And it, they might also have a visual cue of the cloud in the, in, in the space of the device. Yes. Uh, that's if they can see through it. Yes. Okay, let's have a look at a different um, challenge ahead for us. Cynthia, it, it's very easy for a GP to see a patient with asthma on dual therapy not doing well and just thinking that really let's push them onto a triple therapy and, and it must be better. Um, is there too simplistic or, or is there a more nuanced approach? I think that's a very realistic, you know, approach in what in what's happening. And of course, it's a very logical approach. But the way that I try and get to the heart of whether this patient really needs to be switched is the following. I assume that they are non-adherent and I assume that if I showed them how to use the inhaler, I could find some improvement to their inhaler technique. So the starting point is let's go through the use of the inhaler that you currently have. Mm -hmm. And we go through that and, you know, you need to see the patient use it and refine that behaviour, you know, there. And that can be, that's a few minutes. Mm -hmm. The next thing is I ask of the patient, okay, I know that sometimes, you know, you can forget to take your medication or you don't feel you need it. But we're at a point where we need to make a decision of what we do next mm -hmm. because you're experiencing the symptoms or your flare-ups or whatever. And we don't want you to be treating those flare-ups because ultimately you're going to be using more of that inhaled steroid, which you don't want to be doing. Mm -hmm. So we need to decide at this point what we do next. Mm -hmm. so I ask the patient for the following. I would like them to make the best effort possible mm -hmm. to take their medication regularly for two weeks mm -hmm. and then review them to see what's happening. Now, Two weeks, obviously, is not a very long time in terms of, say, an inhaled corticosteroid reaching maximal effect. We know that we probably need about four weeks. Mm -hmm. But within two weeks, they should start to see some improvement. Mm -hmm. So I ask them either one week just to, because they really, you know, they should, if they're taking it, they should start to be some improvement. But up to two weeks, really try their best yeah. to take the medication regularly and then see them in two weeks time and see what's going on if there's absolutely no improvement well you know then we really need to start to look perhaps switching will be will be required if there's starting to be improvement then it potentially really is an adherence issue and that patient may be fine so i think it serves two things helps us understand really whether mm -hmm. there is a need for switch but also helps the patient realize if they haven't been adherent the difference that it makes when you are adherent i hear you loud and clear it makes a lot of sense mm. so really um it's really important for us not to just think as you said it's so logical that uh, mm. if you're not doing well on high dose dual um, next step up logically is just switch but i love the fact that you actually go into this if you like assessment of technique knowledge barriers uh, and then a commitment to two weeks uh, mm. of current therapy um, before we make the decision to switch. Mm. I, I think that's a very important thing to see because just because something is there and might be better doesn't mean that everybody needs to go there immediately. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the, the other thing, you know, if we, if we then think about what challenges will be presented to us if we don't try and nut out the adherence uh, issue uh, 
<laughs> what what is the likely scenario? <laughs> they'll start on triple therapy. <laughs> they'll take it while they're unwell, and then what? They'll be on biologics before we know it. You know, so you know, I think that the, once again, there's just no short, there's just no shortcut to it. Someone at some stage, you know, needs to tackle, tackle, tackle it. So yeah. <laughs> You know, Susie, I've got to say that I've listened to many people speak about adherence and spoken to others and interviewed others about adherence, but we have not spent so much time with the human factor as you have, uh, because if you don't get that right, it, you know, cranking up a new device or medication really doesn't make sense because the issue remains. Yeah, the issue remains. The human factor, I mean, you know... We, we we can't avoid it. It is the most challenging factor sometimes. Yeah. But it's it's real life. Yeah. Yeah, it's real but life. You, but thank you for raising it as such an important issue and actually giving us some practical steps and discussions to have with our patients to assess those sorts of issues and how to move forward with it. Now, when it comes to new medications. Two quick questions. What is the chance that because it's easy to give patients three drugs in one, that these sorts of medications can be easily overused by GPs? And question two, I guess, is could there ever be a perception by patients that, look, if this is better and stronger, I'll probably take more of it. Uh, so uh, overprescription and overuse. I think overprescription is, you know, there, there is a high risk of overprescription because it's new, because the patient maybe, sometimes the patient, you know, your, your GPs will know the patient might have heard about it. You know, I've heard there's something new, I want to try it. And because of the, the fact that a lot of patients do come when they have symptoms and something needs to be done. So I'll, I'll just say one other thing about that. We did some work in pharmacy to see who are these people that come and buy over-the-counter reliever. Mm -hmm. We wanted to understand who they are. And, you know, probably not surprisingly, when they seek out that medication, over 70% of them have recently had symptoms. So they're seeking our help because we don't have structured review processes and, and probably a lot of GPs don't necessarily have that for asthma. Some perhaps do, but, you know, a lot probably don't. The patient's probably only coming to us when they've got symptoms, there's going to be a need to do something. And I think that's where the risk comes in. It's easy to go to that to that next step. Okay. So that's, I think, you know, the threat there. In terms of the patient thinking, oh, if, you know, if this is really good, more of it's going to be even better. Well, I think in respiratory disease, I don't think we've ever found that overuse of regular therapy is a problem. Yes, of reliever therapy of the Sabas, but um, I, we, I don't think we've come across that problem really. So I don't think we need to worry about that one. Wonderful. How about looking back at all the wonderful things you've given to us, Cynthia, what are the key messages you have for our GP listeners? I think the first thing is don't make too many assumptions about the patient and their understanding of their own disease and the role of the medications in that. The second thing is, if at all possible, try and invest some time in actually nutting out all those, all those things about what the patient expects of their disease, of their medication, and what 
how they're actually managing that, what they're happy to live with in terms of their disease and their medication use, because that gives us insights into, you know, what intervention to do. And I guess the third thing is, and it's unfortunate that I put it this way, but before making a switch or making a recommendation for the change in regimen, probably you need to assume that adherence is suboptimal and that inhaler technique is suboptimal. I, th I think it's just easier to assume that that is the case because that's probably most likely the case. So they're really the three key things. I think if we can sort that out, then any prescribing that's done, switching, changing, it will be, you know, it will be a good decision. But mm -hmm. we really need to get that fundamental, those, those things sorted out. Professor Bosnik Antesevich, that was just a fabulous uh, teaching time. And I really value the practical approach you've given us. Wonderful. It's a wonderful opportunity. Thank you very much for the chat. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast, where you can always catch a high quality lineup of speakers and topics that Health Ed has put together for you. Health Ed webcasts are carefully created to provide high quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.